Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here. Of course, it has been mentioned that we are so glad that those from Ventura Congregation are here visiting with us, and we appreciate that so much. And Bill, Nola, and Brent, we are so glad that you're here with us today also. We appreciate that. And uh, Larry, it's good to see you here. It's just good to have all of you here. In our reading this morning, I want to talk about wisdom for trials. And our passage that we started out with was James 1, 1 through 8. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways." The storms of life come to everybody. And the question is asked, what shall I do when those storms come? When I was just a boy of five years old, I had a dog that went with me just about everywhere and used to wait for me. I loved that dog. The grown-ups didn't like him too much, but I did. And he was my buddy. And I got out of school in the first grade, and I was walking home. And we lived in camps at that time in Tulare, California, at what was called Tagus Ranch. And we didn't have any paved roads, and walking between the camps was a trail that people had made as they walked on it every day. And it looked like down the road there was a gunny sack. And as I came closer, I realized that that gunny sack was my dog. It was dead. And for the first time, I knew what heartache was in losing someone that you love. And you say, well, that was not someone. It was to me. And I cried, and nobody seemed to care except my sister. And I asked at that time, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Many people have sat across from a doctor and heard the doctor say, you have cancer, and the prognosis is very poor. My husband just lost his job. And we don't really know what we're going to do. I'm overwhelmed with life that's full of good things that I can't enjoy. Oh, there's heartache everywhere that you look. 
And my child has real, real problems, and I can't seem to help that child in those problems. And we ask, does anybody understand? And I don't think anybody really does. They can sympathize, they can empathize, but each of us are different. And it's our problem that we're going through. I know I thought, and I'm sure that Sherry thought, as Larry passed away, doesn't the world know that a tragedy has happened? And yet all of the cars just kept going by and by. Why did my girlfriend break up with me? Why did my boyfriend break up with me? I've got a heartache that's going on. And why is it that people do not like me? Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. People set that have been married for 25 years. And now they're getting a divorce. And that's the loneliest feeling in the world because you have been rejected by somebody. And everywhere I look, there is evil. I don't know which way to turn. I am so confused, God. There's danger. And so I do nothing. And I sink into depression. Many situations and circumstances, we just do not know what to do. Oh, our Christian life is great. We're going along fine. But the tragedy has just hit me, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. How do you make the right choice? I want to concentrate upon part of this, and of course all of this. He says whenever you're being tried and tempted this way, count it all joy. Well, that's easy to say, but it's awfully hard to accomplish. And as we sang, the storms of life are all around me. And I need to be lifted up. I need something to help me. I want to concentrate upon this portion. portion. If any of you lack wisdom, and I believe that wisdom that he's talking about there is when the trials come, what do I do? And God says, I will give you wisdom let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. There is a guarantee. There's a guarantee in life that God will give you what you need if you really do this right. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So James is talking about all the trials that we face. And I know you here this morning, many of you, have faced those trials. And they're so hard to deal with. We can cry with you. We can cry for you. But we can't take that pain away from you. There's nothing that man can really do that takes that away from you. And this includes trials, and really this is what James is about. 
If we study Job, this is trials from without that have hit me. James is talking about trials that hit the mind. Those trials that you go through inside of yourself. The fights that you're going to have. And if you've never had a fight over your faith, you've missed something. It shakes you to your very core. And if you handle it right, you will turn out better. So my mind is a constant thing that I work with. And all around me, there is an assault on my mind to take my mind into my troubles, into my problems, and let me lay there, and nobody can help. And we are told to let steadfastness have its full effect and be made complete, and in that completeness, he says, I want you to be perfect. Now that perfect, I'm talking about we finally come to a place that in this I can handle it in a mature way. And if I handle it in a mature way, he says you can be complete and lack nothing. You don't have anything to lack. You've got it together. Each trial drives us toward that goal. It pushes you away from God or it pushes you towards God. One of the two is going to happen. And we need so desperately to have wisdom. And wisdom, we say, of course, is the proper application of knowledge. But that doesn't really get it. It's the wisdom that I need. And that's why he says meditate upon the Word of God all the time. And we think meditate means to ponder and just think about the Word of God. It means when you, when you really meditate upon something, it means that you take it in like a cow and you eat it and you chew it up so that it's down there that when you need it, you can belt it up and use it. Now that's pretty exact what happens. And here I am, and I've got what I need. Why? Because I meditated upon the Word of God. I put it down there so that when this trial comes that I can go through it. And he says... I want you to understand you need this so, so badly. So he says, you need the wisdom and we need a practical application to the word of God. Oh, everybody can run around and tell me what to do, but really I need to know how to apply the word of God and that's what, where wisdom comes in. You know, somebody wise tells you something and then you try to apply it at the wrong time. No. One of the things, you know, I, I've noticed this. Young preachers come to me sometimes and they say, what should I preach about? And I say, preach about marriage. Why? Because if you don't, when you get older and are married, then you'll be too humble to preach about it. The ones that can give the best advice have never went through it. I want somebody that knows what they're talking about if they're going to advise me that they have went through it and they can understand in a small way what I'm going through. And if you don't get that, you've got a mess. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Over and over, what do we do? And here's the first thing you do. 
And this is going to be very simple. And yet it's so complex. It's not that it's so hard. It's because we've complicated everything. Ask God. Boy, that's a powerful thing. Ask God. But I don't feel like asking God now. I want to just lay here and cry. Ask God. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Ask God. That's the starting place of it all. Ask God. You say, well, I don't really think God answers your prayer. Well, not much is going to happen. Not much is going to happen. This requires wisdom. Instead of going to God, guess who we go to? We go to the person that's the least likely to really help us. We go to somebody that sympathizes with us but doesn't know anything about it and they're going to tell us what to do. My husband is out there beating me. What do I do? What do I do? And I go to my mother and she says, leave him. Should I try to walk? No, leave him. Well, have we really got sound advice? Shouldn't we go to God and say, what do I do in this? What are I doing? This? So many people ask God, but they don't ask, look for his answer. We're expecting God to do something miraculous out here. And God says, I've answered your prayer. Just look at it. Well, I don't like that suggestion. That's where we get into problems. We go to our parents. We go to the preacher, the preacher knows everything. Everybody knows that about preachers. They know everything. Just go to them and ask them. And when we end up, our faith is in the preacher. And he really didn't help. You know, we buy books on how to do these things. And I think we're wasting a lot of money. God says, I have the answer. Please come to me. Come to me. But, but, but I need somebody that I can see. Well, look at Jesus. You'll see me. Look, look, look. Man is, we have friends. And then when all of that fails, I go to the internet. I type it in there and I say, I got a problem and I need to find the, the answer and it's on the internet. If I can just get on the internet. Oh man, this one said this one, but this contradicted that and that contradicted this and I, I don't know what to do again. But when all of that is finished, I go to the final resort. My thinking. My feelings. This is the way I feel about this. What gave you those feelings? Have you ever asked that? What gives you those feelings? Well, it's your interpretation that's all mixed up like a dream. As I've said before, whenever I look, I'll tell you what. When Angela looks, those kids are beautiful kids when they're asleep. <laughs> it's just when they're awake. That's the problem that we have. 
because our feelings change every day. One day she feels like cutting her heads off. Another day she looks and they're there asleep and she just says, oh, what precious things they are. If I want true wisdom, it comes from God or somebody that is being guided by the principles of God. Do I go to other people? Yes. But I do not go to Tyler to find out about marital problems. He doesn't know. Now, he can tell me scripture and so on, but many times you don't hear that scripture. I need somebody that has had that heart-wrenching thing down inside of them, and they have turned to God, and they know what it is to go through there. They can help you. Where does wisdom come from? In James, the third chapter, verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. It was Mr. Spafford that lived in Chicago. He was wealthy. Oh, he had lost a son when they were, when he was much younger. He had a wife, and he had four beautiful children. He had money, wealth, and everything. And then overnight, a fire took place, and he lost everything. But he still had his family. He planned one day to go out on a trip with his family. At the last minute, him being a lawyer, he's had to stay home, take care of some business, and his wife and children went on the boat out in the middle of nowhere, and he would join them later. That ship was hit by a liner, and he got a telegram. I am the only one that survived, his wife said. His children lay at the bottom of the sea. He was heartbroken. Later, he took a trip, and they went over the place where the ship had sunk. And he went to his cabin, and he wrote, when, when the storms of life are all about me, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Does that stop the heartache? No. But it assures me, this man sitting here lost his beautiful wife, a beautiful mother. And he said to me, if I behave myself, I'll see her again. Now I've got the tears flowing. God says the wisdom that I've got, it comes from above and it is a wonderful thing that when all of life is in storm, when everything is array, he said, I'm there. Grab hold because everything will be all right. I had to tell this lady, your son committed suicide and watched her fall to the floor. Oh, there's heartache. But we hold on. We need to learn from people that have experienced God's wisdom. Notice what happens when we go to God. 
God says, I give to you generously. And when we say generously, we mean without reservation, without having second thoughts, wholeheartedly. I wholeheartedly give you this. It's a gift. Grab it, grab it, grab it, grab it. God gives wisdom to all who ask of him. It is God's character to give. That's his very character. We say, well, he didn't give me anything. God says, I gave you my son. I sacrificed my son for you. He didn't give me anything. He gave me everything. He gave me everything that I have. And God, that person that I lost, that dog that I lost, you'll take care of all that. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about that. We borrow our worries. We borrow borrow them all the time. Don't let your emotions get in the way of God. That's what happens. Our emotions rise up and say, God, I'm so bad that you can't help me. Let me tell you something. When I became a Christian, the hardest thing for me, and this is after years and years of being a Christian and going through all of my stupidity and all of the things that caused all of my heartache and all of that, God says, you know what? With all that you have done, all the misdeeds, all of the sin, all of those things, come to me and I will forgive you. God, you don't understand. I am so bad. You don't know what I've done. God says, yeah, I know. But he says, I'll forgive you. And it says God will give without reproach. You know what that means? It's a little bit like John. One of the things about him growing up, he just kept making some mistakes and he'd come back and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you say, you're my son. I forgive you. Now he goes to other people and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they say, again, 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 you're saying that over again. God says, I won't ever chastise you for coming to me. You come to me and I will be there and I will be sympathetic and I will help you. You know what? Jesus is sympathetic to us. But I want to ask you a question. Are you sympathetic with God? Do you ever feel sorry for what you have done to God? Do you ever feel sorry for what other people are doing to God? Do you ever feel sorry for God because people shut him out? I gave my son and you won't depend upon me. I've given, I give everything. We don't irritate God when we come to him. The second thing he says to do is ask in faith. Look it. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. How do you do that? How do you really ask in faith? If you notice something, asking in faith is contrasted with asking in doubt. James is not saying Christians do not have doubts. They do. And James is not saying that your faith is never shaken. It is. James is saying we sometimes don't know what God's will is and don't ask without knowing that God keeps his promises. Can you get that? No matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what pain is, God will keep his promise. 
And that is he's going to give me the wisdom that I need to go through this and I can do it. I'm going to tell you something. You're never ready. Even though you try to prepare for these things, you're never really ready. It just happens. And we say, I pray and nothing happens. As we said last week, you need to live your prayers. Well, how do I live my prayers? We said last week, if you, if you are hungry, you need to find work. If that fails, you need to depend upon brethren and so on. Somebody said, well, I don't want to depend upon anybody. I don't want to tell anybody about this. I don't want to really be helped. I don't want to learn anything. I just want to be miserable and all alone. Live your prayer. How do I do that? First, go to God and believe that he is going to help you. In fact, you've started the process when you go to God. You say, well, I've been to God before and he didn't help me. You really weren't with God. Now be honest, your whole heart did not go out to God because strength comes from God. Over in Romans, the fourth chapter and verse 21, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do you know who said that? Abram. I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. There's two old people that can't have children. God says you're going to have a child. And Sarah heard that and she laughed. And Abram says, if God says it, I believe it. And into the tent he went. James is talking about getting wisdom. I want the wisdom, God. If you do not believe God can deliver, then why ask? If I needed a million dollars for an operation, I would not go to John. He can't deliver. I'd go to Sandy. <laughs> do you know why asking without faith fails? He says it's like a sea, wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Such a person does not believe that God keeps his promises. Oh, I would never say that out loud. God forbid that I ever say that out loud, but that's what we think. We think God really doesn't keep his promises. Do you know what your problem is? You don't have an anchor to hold you down firm. Isn't that what he says over in Hebrews 6, 18 and 19? That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which endureth which entereth into that within the veil. In other words, we go into heaven to get our help. Our mind is taken from this and put on that, and God's, you're going to help me. I know you're going to help me. You're on the right track. He says, I want you to see the real problem. 
a double-minded man. That's a two-souled man. His loyalties are divided. We look to God and then we say, well, God, you don't seem to be helping, so I'll look to myself. I can figure it out. How are you today? Uh, I don't want you to ask because I can figure it out. I can figure it out. I can figure it out. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. God, I love the story of the old lady that lived next to the atheist. And the atheist says, there is no God. And the old lady was about to starve to death. And the guy said, I'll fool her. He went down and bought a bunch of groceries and he came and he set it upon the porch. She came out. She said, thank you, God, for this food. He jumped out and said, God didn't give that to you. I gave it to you. She said, thank you, God, for giving me this food and sending it by the messenger of the devil. <laughs> Do you realize... Are you, real, are you re- depending upon you or God? There's a big difference. It says that if you're that way, you are unstable in all of life. And what that means is you change from day to day. You can't be depended upon. When you say something, you don't know whether it's going to happen or whether it's not. You can't be depended upon. Do you realize how many people make appointments with me and then don't show up? Hmm? No big deal. He's a preacher. He has all the time in the world. We don't need to show up to him. And yet if you do the same thing to them, it really upsets them. Going to have you for lunch, but they show up two hours late and you've already ate, and they get mad because you've already ate. Life's crazy. You can't depend upon anybody, and nobody can depend upon you. You lack stability. And the reason your life is unstable is because your loyalties are divided. You stay in a mess because you've not really given yourself to God. If you want to get out of the mess, give yourself to God. He gave himself to you. Now why not give yourself to God? And he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You remember he said that? Who am I really following? I'm going to tell you something. If you're following yourself, you're following the old devil. Now that's who you're following. The devil comes in all kinds of disguises. Oh, he looks good. We look out over here and we see all the halos sitting on everybody's head. You look good. You look good. You look good. But are you really depending upon God? That's the question. He says you're not to suppose you're going to get anything from God. 
And the tragedy is God will not give you wisdom. We ignore God's love and depend on the wrong others or self. We admit we don't know what to do, yet we will not depend on sound advice or learn from God or others. We won't go to the word of God and find out what to do. And we run in our mind to all different places. And we go nowhere. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis likened God's use of, to adversity to walking a dog. And I like this. He says, if the dog gets its leash wrapped around a pole and tries to continue running toward, uh, forward, he will only tighten the leash more. Both the dog and the owner are after the same end, forward motion, but the owner must resist the dog by pulling him opposite the direction he wants to go. The master sharing the same intention, but understanding better than the dog where he really wants to go, takes an action precisely opposite to that of the dog's will. It is in this way that God uses adversity. I'm wanting to go this way. God says it's the wrong way. It's going to choke you. It's going to get you down. You're finally going to be in depression. You're going to be in all of these. And God said, I'm pulling you the other way and you're resisting. Why not let him take control and lead you in the right direction? The doubter is a fence setter. He sits on a fence. He's got the world over here. He's got God over here. And he sits on the fence. I don't know which way to go today. It's my feelings. And so I go over here. And Oh, but I want to be God. It's a mess. Trying to serve two masters. And God says you can't do that. You either trust God or you're swallowed up by the storm. Now we're going to finish it this way. We need to go to God in our trials because they are bigger than I am. And he is bigger than they are. If we could get that in our mind and ask God for wisdom and then live the prayer. In other words, just asking God to give you something as we said last week, I'm hungry and God, I need food. And we wait for the ceiling to open up and a bag of potatoes come down. It doesn't work that way. And know that God will help. I know it. I know God. I'm personally acquainted with God. I know that he will help. And don't be double-minded. For God's sake, don't be double-minded. Take your stand, as John said in his class this morning, stand, take your stand to pull down all of these strongholds, all of these things against you. You can pull them down. You say, well, this power is so great. Well, we've got a greater power. Don't ever think that the devil is as powerful as God. God says, I can win, and I can win every time if you will let me help you over this bump that you're going through.
If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, how lonely you must be. How lonely, lonely you must be. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you really know how much God loves you? We're studying this on Wednesday night. Oh, he loves you so much. He forsook his son upon the cross. And in forsaking his son on the cross, he forsook himself for you. He loves you. Do you believe that God sent his son to die for you? And do you believe in Jesus Christ? And let him become your master, your savior, your king, your everything. Your life, your breath, everything. And are you willing to say, you know, I've made a mess of it myself. And now I'm turning the steering wheel over to God and letting him direct my life. And to be able to confess before men that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of the living God. Be baptized for the remission of sins as you enter into the death of Christ where he shed his blood and the blood of Christ takes away your sins and the operation of God is performed inside of your mind that you know that he has taken your sins away and you are resurrected to walk a brand new life. You've been born again and it's all the past is washed out. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?